up, everybody? Welcome back to the Odd Man Rush podcast. This is episode two. I'm Jared McCabe. On the other end is Caden. Caden, how you doing, man? I'm doing very good. Thank you for asking, Jared. So before we get into episode two of the podcast, uh, Kay and I were talking, and uh, before we get into hockey, we thought we'd be stupid if we didn't address what is going on in our country right now. So on behalf of Kay and I, we send our prayers and condolences to the Floyd family after the wrongful killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We hope they get the justice they deserve. We bring this up because there have been so, there's been prominent athletes in the sports world speak out about this issue, especially in the NHL, with the likes of Evander Kane, JT Brown, Alexander Ovechkin, Tom, John Tavares, and many more. So we'll leave you with this. Rest in peace, George Floyd. So now on to hockey. All right, Caden. So it's time for some hockey. Um, you very, know I love my hockey. No, yeah. It's a very exciting episode today because we're going to recap the season. And we're going we're gonna to do a segment called Pass or Fail. And what that segment contains of is we're going to break down some things. We're going to have teams that surprised us, teams that disappointed us, players that surprised us, and players that disappointed us. And then we'll go into other things where we have goal of the year, game of the year, save of the year, the Jack Adams award, which is the best award for the best head coach. And then we'll have GM of the year. So we thought it'd be a little bit fun to give us, give out our own kind of awards outside of the Jack Adams, because obviously that's an award that they always get in GM of the year. But we thought it'd be kind of fun to recap the season by doing that. But before we do that, obviously, Caden, the NHL played a shortened season because of COVID-19 and they cut the season short. Even though they cut it short, it feels like we still have a lot of great plays, highlights, games that really happened these past couple of months, and they were really exciting games and really cool moments. It, and, it, and as you told me before, as you said before, it feels like the season ended like three, four, five months ago. When it was, it, when it feel like it feels like just yesterday. It, at times, it will feel like just yesterday it ended, but then at times it feels like it was months ago, and at times when you really miss the sport, it feels like it was years ago. Oh uh, yeah, that's why if they finally figure out how to get the hub cities and try to find places to play, and how they, if they get a vaccines and they find testing, then once that puck is dropped for these play-in playoffs, it's just going to be so weird. But yeah, it's going to be so exciting just because. It's just a good distraction, and we've been we've been missing we've been missing hockey and sports. So, can't wait for that. So, you ready to get going here, man? Ready. I have my notes. All right. So, I'll start with you. We're gonna start off with the pass or fail segment with teams that surprised us. So, Caden, take it away. Okay. So, I did uh, a lot of re- a lot of research into this topic of teams that shocked us. I, I had to narrow it into two teams. One team was the New York Rangers, my favorite team. Uh, I think the Rangers had a very shocking season as a fan, mainly because before the stop of the season happened, the Rangers were two points out of the playoffs. And the past couple of years, I, I think the last time they made it was 2015. So this is the first time they're back in the playoffs since then, or 2016. Um, 
I am. I was. I'm excited uh, to say that my my team that shocked me was the Vancouver Canucks. And I think you might agree with me on this. I'm not sure who your team that shocked you is. Uh, mainly one reason is the emergence of JT Miller, who came out of the gate storming for the Canucks. Uh, and I have my um, stats for JT Miller. So Miller coming into this first year in Vancouver, uh, he put up 27 goals, 45 assists, 75 72 points in 69 games. All those are career highs. Uh, he was the big piece added as he was a trade from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, currently still on a five-year, $5.25 million contract with a total hit of $26.25 million. Uh, and a thing that mentioned is that uh, Vancouver took the whole contract. So they took the whole 5.25, and I don't think Jim Benning or the Vancouver Canucks organization is regretting that at all. Not to mention that Miller is playing about 20 minutes a night, and so far he had tw- coming into the stop, he had 25 power play points. He was a key piece in the power play. Um, other things I added is that the Vancouver Canucks the Vancouver Canucks did, in fact, at advance to the playoffs. They're advancing to the play-in round. They're the seventh seed. They ended up at fourth in the Pacific. They're 36-27-6 with 78 points. Uh, some of their key additions was JT Miller, that I mentioned. Uh, at the trade deadline, they actually got Tyler Toffoli from the Los Angeles Kings. And uh, on July 1st, they signed defenseman Tyler Myers from the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and I have been I've been in love with this team for a little bit and they are my second favorite to win the Stanley Cup from the West next to the Colorado Interesting. Avalanche. Interesting. So Jared, I gave I gave you my team that shocked me. Who was the team that shocked you? Yeah, so um uh I just we were thinking on we're on the same wavelength here. I went with the Vancouver Canucks as well. Uh, I think it's just when you look at the overall standings and you look at the overall teams, just the one that always should stand out to you if you were a hockey fan are the Vancouver Canucks. No one would have saw this coming. I honestly, if if there was even just like the normal playoffs that the season never ended, I, I believe they'd find a way to sneak in. They're just a team that's on the uprising here. And like you said, it was all because of JT Miller's acquisition. He was playing third-line minutes in Tampa Bay because that's a deep team. But now he comes in as the leader. He didn't even play in Vancouver his career. He played in most of his career in New York, a little bit of it in Tampa. But it just amazed me how he can come into this locker room, into this franchise, play first-line minutes, and just take over a franchise in one big year. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on him to deliver in these playing rounds and for the years to come. But he did it all, and he's got young guns behind him. He's got Elias Pedersen, who was right behind him with 27 goals and 30, 39 assists, which totals up to 66 points. So Vancouver Canucks were a great story, and they could be a great story here in this playoff run. Like you said, they are slated at the seventh seed to in the playing playoffs, and they'll go up against the 10th seed Minnesota Wild, which I think could be a very good, interesting matchup. 
But like you said, you basically said it all for me. They were a great team, up-and-coming team. They'll be here for the future. And just a little quick things here that I have here. They played 69 games, played – they finished with 36 wins, 27 losses, six overtime losses. So finished with 78 points. So that's not bad. That's not bad for uh, a team like the Vancouver Canucks where we weren't really expecting this. So, but yeah, so those are the team. That's the team that surprised us. That may be – I, again, we don't know what we picked, so this is all new to us. So if there's something that we agreed on, that's kind of cool. But hopefully there's some that we disagree on so we can go back and forth. So that was the team. Let's, let's not also forget that two years in a row, Vancouver had a runner-up for Rookie of the Year in Brock Besser and the winner of Rookie of the Year in Elias Pettersson. Yeah. And – they arguably have another runner-up or even another Calder Cup winner in Quinn Hughes. I think it's going to be Quinn's. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's going to be Quinn or, or Kale McCarr. And it's like, – like I said, they're, they're going to be a good team to watch for, for the next couple of years because they got a young, great young players, and JT Miller's there to uh, lead the way in Vancouver. So that's the team that Along surprised with- us. What? Hmm? I was about to say, along with Bo Horvat, the uh, captain oh, no. of the Vancouver Canucks. Absolutely. And he kind of goes under the radar here and there because you, you talk about he, he does. and all the other guys. But he's a good player, too. And he's a great piece to put alongside JT Miller on that squad. So, like I said, those are, that's the team that surprised us. So, Caden, what's the team that disappointed you? Okay. So, again, like I did for the teams that shocked me, I have two. Uh, I, did a lot of research, I did a lot of research into one of them. And one of them I mentioned, uh, a team that my second team that disappointed me uh, was the Florida Panthers. Interesting. And now, and now I know they're in the play-in round, and I know they're in the play-in round. However, you have to look at what they're expected to do. Signing Sergey Bobrovsky to a seven-year, $10 million. They also got good depth pieces in Nolachari, Brett Connolly, Anton Strawman. Yes, they traded away Vincent Trocek. Um, then they have good. They have their captain Alexander Barkov. They have Jonathan Huberto, Aaron Ekblad, Keith Yandel. This team, I think, is way too stacked to be falling to the ten seed. I think they should have been at least a five or a, or a six seed going into this off going into the season. And at one point, with the signing of Sergey Bobrovsky and even the almost signing of Artemi Panarin, people may have considered Florida a dark horse for a cup run. But my team that disappointed me, my number one team, was the New Jersey Devils. Really? So the New Jersey Devils were said to have maybe their best offseason in the past offseason. They got pieces like Jack Hughes, the number one overall pick. They got Nikita Gusev from the Vegas Golden Knights. They got Wayne Simmons on a cheap $2.5 million for one year, or it was a $5 million for two years. Uh, P.K. Subban was, the, was probably the biggest piece in a trade from the Nashville Predators. Nashville Predators. Uh, so they finished eighth in the Metropolitan Division with a, with a record of 26, 29, and 12 for 68 total points. 
And not to mention that this team had a lot of key losses, including their at one point Hart Trophy nominee, Taylor Hall, Blake Coleman, who went to Tampa Bay, their captain, Andy Green, who went to the New York Islanders, Wayne Simmons, who was traded to the Buffalo Sabres, and defenseman Sammy Vaughton traded to the Carolina Hurricanes. Looking at them possibly having this great offseason, why couldn't they compete? I expected them to more compete than to fall off the face of the earth and have their play almost plundered. If you understand what my meaning here. But that's my team that disappointed me. Who is a team that disappointed you? Before I go on to mine, um, I think I should mention this. Um, when we were going through this, uh, we had rules that, like, there could have been a team that, like, disappointed you that's in the playoff round and, like, the playing round. So when you brought up Florida, like, that they may be in the playing round, but they can still disappoint you because maybe he expected them to be one of those top four, at least just a higher seed. But before I go into my I, I want to make this point about the Devils because I think it's important, and you brought up a great point. They, had a, they did have a, a very underrated offseason. And we didn't ex- both of us didn't expect them to be cup contenders. Like, that's the thing. Don't, don't misinterpret that, what Caden was saying. He wasn't expecting them to host the Stanley Cup in New Jersey at the end of the year. We ju- he just thought, and honestly, we thought they were just going to be a good team to compete in the Metro. And they were they they, they they fell short of that by beginning of the year two basically. points yeah two points. Let's so. not forget that midseason they actually fired their head coach John Haynes, who was then hired later by the Nashville Predators. Literally, so don't get that twisted that he thought that the Devils were going to be cup contenders. No, you just you want when in rebuilds you just want to see progress. And if I'm a Devils fan, I'm kind of nervous because you didn't see any of that progress. You just saw guys get shipped out left and right to contending teams that could possibly win a cup. So I feel for you, Devils fans, but that's what happens when you, you, you don't have the right guys upstairs to really help guide a team. And obviously, rebuilds take forever in the NHL for the most part. But what happened this year for the Devils, man, I don't know. And, and, and I'm not a Rangers fan. I'm not an Islanders fan. I'm not a Sabres fan. I'll kind of get rid of the Sabres for right now because I really don't know. But, man, across the river, got the Rangers. That looks really, really bright. And you got the Islanders. They ain't going away anytime soon. So, I don't know. And on top of that, you got the Metro. So, um, I'm sorry about that, Devils fans. So, my team that disappointed me is the Nashville Predators, like you said. Inter- interesting. And I, I went back and forth looking at the standings, like I said about when I was looking for teams that surprised me. And I just kept on staring at Nashville. I just kept on staring and saying, you know what? I think this is the team. And I came together with a couple of things. Number one, they arguably got a top five free agent last year, Matt Duchesne from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And to pair him up on the first line alongside Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson, 
thought, okay, that's a solid, solid first line. That's probably top five, top ten line in all of hockey. And you look at all the pieces that they have around them. They got great players in Roman Yossi. Just look at that deep, that, that blue line, Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis. And throughout the whole year, they could only muster up 78 points. And they finished fifth in the Central. You could argue, you could easily argue they're better than Dallas. You could arguably debate they're better than Edmonton. You could debate that they're somewhat competitive with the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm not saying they're better than Vegas, but they're, they're arguably competitive. And they could only muster up 78 points and they're in a playing round. I'm sorry. You trade P.K. Subban, you, you clear up space, and you can't do anything with that. You can't get another solid piece to go along with this team. Nashville was just in the cup, a cup, uh, the Stanley Cup player, uh, Stanley Cup final, I should say. I can't speak today. Um, a couple of years ago, and this is how they finish. Again, I feel like I'm. I may, Caden, you can tell me if I'm coming down too harsh on them, but I think this is a year of a window of opportunity for Nashville because you just signed Yossi, but then you got to try to sign Forsberg. You got to try to sign Arvidsson, and like I say with the Tampa Bay. You only have at it for so many years, and then they're going to break it up. And then and in a small market like Nashville, and with the way they just signed Yossi and Duchesne, this window could close in a heartbeat, in a blink of an eye. Because when you're a small market team like that, you don't have the chance to always pay, pay, pay. So we'll see. And again, they're still in the playing round, so maybe they can – Maybe they can just push this whole regular season behind them, and what matters is what you do in the playoffs. Maybe they'll go on a deep run, and I'll be eating my words, and I'll come back onto this show and say I was wrong. But for right now, when I look at the National Predators as a whole, I see a big disappointment. And I think that their looking at the playing around relies on how Pecorine plays. That's a great point, and- yeah. And, and also how their power play works together. Because if I'm not mistaken, the Nashville Predators had the worst power play this season. Their power play coaching is atrocious. And they need to shake that up. I think the hiring of John Hines was a good hiring. But every other coaching staff, their assistant coaching staff, every other coaching staff needs to be shipped out. And they need to bring a new seat. They need to bring in, they need to bring in new faces next year. And obviously, when you get a new head coach, that doesn't help. So I'll give them, I'll cut them some slack there because obviously that's just not what you're expecting when you go into a year. And you never want to say that you want to see someone get fired. But that's what happened this year. So I'll cut some slack when it comes to that just because when you're in the middle of a year and you're fighting to get to the point, you want to be President's Trophy winners again and stuff like that. Obviously, firing your head coach is going to kind of stop some of that. So, um, that's for the team that surprised us and teams that disappointed us. Now we're going to go to players now. So, Caden, again, I'll start with you. Who was a player that surprised you this season or lived up to expectations that you, weren't, that you didn't think was possible? So, I have a, a three. I, have a, I did a list of three. Um, starting from three, my third player was JT Miller. Uh, I already mentioned everything. Uh, his his career his stats this year all career highs his power play points his time on ice his contract and how he I wouldn't say single handedly but he was a big piece as to why Vancouver is this good this year. 
Second, I have Rangers defenseman Adam Fox. 22 years old, scoring eight goals, 34 assists for 42 points in his first season, 13 power play points, averaging 20, sorry, averaging 18 minutes, almost 19 minutes total time on ice. And there has been talk that he could even win the Calder for his defensive play. And now I know those goals, assists, and points don't pop out to anybody. But if you go back and you watch Adam Fox in the game, he is easily the Rangers' best defenseman next to Tony D'Angelo. Easily the Rangers' best defenseman. He came into this role, coming from college, after being treated for only two second-round picks. And he made that much of a big impact. I am excited for Adam Fox's sophomore season. And my number one player that shocked me this season was Winnipeg Jets forward Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor, and I think this is only his third year, totally third full year, scored 38 goals, 31 assists for 73 points. Again, all those are career highs for him. He averaged 21 minutes on ice, scoring 17 power play points. And he's currently on a seven-year, $7.14 million uh, cap hit contract for a total of 49.98. The past three seasons in Winnipeg, he's been a 30-goal scorer and a 50-point scorer. And you can easily argue that this 23-year-old forward, without them, without Kyle Connor, the Winnipeg Jets, well, without him and Connor Hellebuck, they would not be in the playoffs or they would be so low in the standings. Good point. Good point. Uh, I think that Kyle Connor is so underrated because he's on a stacked Winnipeg Jets roster. And I mentioned last week that he's on a roster with Nikolaj Ehlers, Patrick Laine, Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley. Easily, if he's on a team, if he's on a team that doesn't have those big four pieces, he's easily the best player on that team. Easily. So, I gave you my top three. Who is your players that shocked you, Jared? I was down to three players. I was down to JT Miller, the Vancouver Canucks, but I felt I already talked much about the Vancouver Canucks, so I just centered my talk when I centered their talk about JT Miller because obviously he's been a big part of that team. My other one, like you said, defenseman from the Rangers, Adam Fox. But my number one player that I picked – He's from the defending Stanley Cup champions, St. Louis Blues, forward David Perron. Whoa. whoa. Yeah, David Perron. And the reason why I picked David Perron are for a couple things. Uh, They're franchise player, face of the franchise. Vladimir Tarasenko went down on the first line. So they left a big hole at the first line. So you need someone to step up in a big way. And that was David Perron. (laughs) He led the team with 25 goals, and it was one point shy for the team leading in points. One point shy, I should say, one point shy to Ryan O'Reilly. So that's not bad to be shy of Ryan O'Reilly because he's a pretty pretty good player. Uh, O'Reilly had 61, Perron had 60. And I was looking this up on HockeyReference.com, nice website that gives you all the stats and career stats of players and team stats. And I want to read this. I, kind of, I wrote this together, but I put the numbers together. 
This is his only second time in his long in his long career that he finished with 25 or more goals. The last time he did that was back in 2013-2014 with the Oilers, where he finished with 28 goals but only tallied up 52 points. So everyone thinks of when they think of the Blues, they think of Tarasenko, they think of O'Reilly, they think of Petrangelo. But for a guy like David Perron to step in when Tarasenko went down for basically the whole year and he led the team like this, to me, that's a player that surprised me because when I, I don't even think of David Perron when I think of top five Blues. I just don't. And that's no disrespect to Perron. So what he did this year to have a career year like this on a really good team with a guy that went down in Tarasenko, to me, that's defined surprising to me. So David Perron is my choice for surprise player of the year. He, he really flew under the radar, I would say, uh, this season. And he definitely did. It's because he's on a top team like the Blues. So no one really blinks yeah. him high because it's the Blues. So. Uh, yeah. so now we'll do player that disappointed us. I'll start with this one. Um, I thought there were a couple guys I thought of, but there weren't really anyone that really jumped out to me. But the only one that really did was uh, defenseman Jake Gardner from the Carolina Hurricanes. Interesting. And, and a lot, not a lot of people would think about him either. And the reason why I thought of him was everyone thought it was a steal when Carolina came out of nowhere with Gerard uh, Gardner, I should say, was sitting on the free agent market waiting for a place to go. And he finally had a landing spot in Carolina, which he signed like a four-year deal worth uh, $4.5 million annually, something like that. So he left Toronto and he went to Carolina. And he was already adding depth to the blue line in Carolina that was already deep already. So it's a little head-scratcher to me there. But obviously, you got to get a job. So he got a job. But yeah. His numbers were okay. They weren't anything spectacular, but it was right around, his numbers were right around the range that he normally is at. But the reason I, I called it a disappointment was because he's, to me, he's a top four defenseman, top, like, not playing top line minutes, but playing around second line minutes. He's playing third line minutes by time before the season ended. He was playing third line minutes. And when you sign a big player like that to a big contract like that, you expect him to be at least second-line minutes. Once they got added Shea, they bumped him down to the third line. And that, that's not – that's – to me, I, I just – i to me, I just looked at that as a big disappointment. You expect to get a big guy like that who was sitting on the market for months and then to finally pick him up like that and he's only producing third-line minutes. That's rough. That's rough. And But he had good – I'll give him this. He had good – puck possession numbers this year, so I'll give him that because when you're a defenseman, you got to know how to distribute the puck well and, and have possession of the puck, but other than that, I just when you sign a big guy like that, he's playing third line minutes. That's a disappointment to me. So, uh, Jake Garner, defenseman, is my disappointment of the year. Interesting. Interesting. Alright, what's your dis- disappointment of the year? So, like my players, I'm a shock. I have three. Uh, the number the number three was PK Subban of the New Jersey Devils of the New Jersey Devils. So first thing to mention, he's on the he's on the back end of an eight year nine million dollar contract, uh, around seventy two million total. Traded traded to the Devils in the off season, and his play just took a hit this season. Uh, after three years of scoring at least thirty points in Nashville, 
he had only a measly 18 points this season. And at, at times, I wouldn't even consider him the devil's best defenseman. I would give that honor to Will Butcher or even Demyon Severson. Number two for me is goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky. So Bobrovsky is a two-time Vesna Trophy winner, which is the best goaltender in the league. Um, he has a it, it, he has a season like a season average of twenty-five wins per season, a nine-sixteen save percentage, and two point five goals against, which is very good for a goaltender. Uh, he, as as I mentioned when talking about Florida, he signed a seven-year, ten million dollar contract for seventy million. And this season, with the high expectations off of that amazing run with Columbus last year and the amazing money he was just given, you would expect him to come in maybe win you 30 games, keep about a 2.5 goals against, and a safe percentage about maybe 9-2-0, 9-16, around that area. He came in with he finished the season with 23 wins, a goal against average of 3.23 and a save percentage of 900 on the dot. That I think that was that's um, embarrassing if you're Bobrovsky or even a Florida Panthers fan. But one thing that you got to say is that Bobrovsky arguably does 100% better in the playoffs. And while it may not show when Columbus only wins, one playoff round, their first playoff round they've won was last year, but you watch and he's always a solid goaltender in the playoffs. Can I just interrupt you for one second? Like I said about Nashville, anything, whatever they do in the playoffs, Bobrovsky could be like, you know, Caden, I'll, I'll prove you in the playoffs. So he'll make you eat your words. Like that's just the thing when you talk about these players. Like we have these teams that we call disappointments and these players that are that we call disappointments this year but half of them are in the playing playing so maybe they'll just make us eat our words at the end of the day <laughs> maybe they will and my number one player who disappointed me was buffalo sabers forward jeff skinner oh my god i couldn't agree more <laughs> i couldn't agree more break it down for the people please because if you don't know yes. about jeff skinner Oh, oh, my God. Oh, boy. Do we have a treat for you. <laughs> All right. Take it away. So, Jeff Skinner, since the 2015-16 season, he's been about a 50-point scorer. That's very good for, for a player caliber. He was in Carolina for most of his career. Last year, he was traded to Buffalo in the offseason, and he took a skyrocket in play, scoring 40 goals, a career high in goals. And 63 points, which tied his career high. He's the face of Buffalo now, right, over Eichel the after face, that season, right? right? Oh, I know, I know, I know. Face of Buffalo. So he, so he said, you know what? I might cash in on my play now. I just scored 40 goals last season on a team that didn't even make the playoffs. I was easily their best player next to Jack Eichel. I want to cash in. Jack, uh, sorry, Jeff Skinner signed an eight-year Nine million per nine million dollars per season, which is disgustingly bad. There is no way Jeff Skinner is worth nine million dollars, not even after a forty goal season. But you got to give props to Skinner and his agent 
as they definitely cashed in. This season, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, right. <laughs> he scored 14 goals, nine assists for 23 points. Oh, the nine assists and 23 points are career lows. So now people are going to ask, was he injured this year? And your answer is, no! <laughs> Jeff Skinner was totally healthy. If I'm not mistaken, I think I am. But at one point, wasn't Skinner a healthy scratch? I believe so. I don't remember correctly, but I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. How do you go from 40 goals in one season to 14 the next? You better hope, as a Buffalo Sabres fan, not as me, but if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, you better hope and pray that Jeff Skinner next season just skyrockets and scores 35 goals. You better hope and pray. Because if he does not, you, and if you're Jason Botterhill or you're the Buffalo Sabres organization, buy his contract out. That's a lot of That's money an, to eat. It's a lot of money to eat, but would you rather be eating $9 million per or the salary, or the hit from the buyout. True. That's my player who disappointed me. And <laughs> wow, Jeff Skinner is not the best. <laughs> I'll be honest right here now. You topped my disappointment, Jake Gardner. Wow, <laughs> Jeff Skinner outweighs Jake Gardner. Uh, outweighs. Outweighs. And just for wow. one other thing, when it comes to Skinner, for you guys that, that are listening that don't know, most top players get paid $9 million a year on average of eight years. Those players would just say, like, could be like, uh, I don't know, just say like a Jamie Benn or like a Tyler Sagan. Somewhere around that end, Mitch Marner, John Tavares. Or Timmy Panarin. Or Timmy Panarin. Panarin. But no. Jeff Skinner, it just, it, just, it just shows that whatever you do for me last year, they will, in the, especially in hockey, I couldn't say it's a lot in other sports, but especially for hockey, whatever you did for me last year, we will, we will support you and give you what you think you deserve. Oof. I, uh, like I said, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I got a bad taste in my mouth after that one. After that one. Let's right. go to something new. Yeah, we'll go to Jack Adams Award now. This is an actual award that the coaches in the league get after a well-deserving year. So, Caden, I'll start with you. I think I know where you're going this one, but I'm going to guess it's David Quinn of your Rangers. I could be wrong, but you said this could be a surprise. So, I'm kind of curious. Who is your Jack Adams? So, I had two nominees. I had three nominees, one winner. My nominees were Elaine Vigneault of the Philadelphia Flyers, Travis Green of the Vancouver Canucks, but you're wrong about David Quinn for me. Dang it. My Jack Adams Award winner is Paul Maurice, head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Interesting. Break it down for me, please. Okay. So, at, so my big thing about Paul Maurice is that he – lost big def- his big key defensemen in Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, Dustin Bufflin, and even Ben Sherrod. With one of the worst decors, with led by Neil Pionk, 
who came from the Rangers and didn't look as fantastic as you thought, they still fought for a wild card spot. And now you can look at that and say, well, yeah, you had Kyle Connor and you had Patrick Laine and you had Nikolai Zioris and Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. If you're coaching a team with one of that worst decor and you're still in a wild card spot, that just amazes me. And I think that that Paul Maurice, after looking into some more research, at one point it was actually Travis Green, my winner, to win the uh, Jack Adams. But just looking at it, I think Paul Maurice, for my opinion, deserves a Jack Adams award. It's not a bad choice. It's really not, especially like you broke it down with the defense score. So I, I could see that. Definitely. All so right, Jared. Who won yours? All right. So my Jack Adams award goes to Elaine Vigneault from the Philadelphia Flyers. He was hired this past offseason coming into this year, coming from the New York Rangers. Uh, he led them to a 41-21 record with seven overtime losses. I think this is the most important part of all of this. He came in, he took over a Flyers team that was that was uh, 31, I mean 37 and 37 last year. Just like I'll leave it at that for now. They were at they were at 500 last year, 37 and 37. And this year he led them to a season of 41 and 21 with seven time with seven overtime losses. If anyone's counting at home, (laughs) and you could easily argue that the Philadelphia Flyers are now possibly the Stanley Cup final. East representative. They're at least arguably maybe the front runner. Uh, I'll back, I'll, I'll, I have some things to back that up. I'll give you a little timeline, like I said, going into the pre meetings, pre show. I had a little timeline for this. I'll kind of break it down for you. In November, they had two, uh, four game winning streaks. In January, they had two key wins against the two teams that were in the Stanley Cup final last year between the Blues and the Bruins. And they were, at that point, they were 12 points behind the division-leading Capitals. Now we go to February. They went 10-3, and and this was the part of the glimpse where we were going to start to see how great the Flyers could be. They jumped into second in the division with three points behind the division-leading Capitals. Three points. And literally in January, they were 12 points behind. And then we get to March, and their great record shows. They went 4-1. and one, They went on that streak again, and they were literally a point behind the Capitals. And obviously that helped because the Capitals went on that weird run where they kind of – they were winning a lot, and then they lost a lot. They could literally not buy a goal. And the Flyers were just kept on marching. And I can tell you right now, I bet in the Caps locker room, they will say they weren't watching. But they were watching the Flyers start marching up behind their backs. So as we stand, they're the fourth seed as the top seeds in the, in the playoffs. And it could poss- they could possibly move up if they play well in the round robin. So my Jack Adams award goes to Elaine Vigneault from the Philadelphia Flyers because he brought the Flyers back from the dead and brought them back to a team that you need to reckon with because they 
was very, very good. And they're a team you might not want to see in the playoffs this year. So he gets my Jack Adams award for this year. Now we go to GM of the year. I already know where Caden's going with this one. So I'll tell, I'll tell you guys, he's going with Jeff Gordon of the Rangers. He'll talk about Gordon. We agreed on this one. I had Gorton as well, but instead of talking about Gorton, I will talk about John Davidson, who is the president of the New York Rangers. But first, I'll let Caden talk about John Gorton. All right. So, GM of the year is looked at as the best GM who really helped the team, I would say. And you got to look at Jeff Gorton. I, I don't think – I think the only other possible candidate could be Joe Sackick from the Colorado Avalanche. But look at the Rangers. I have made about five or six key talking points uh, that I'm going to mention why Jeff Gorton should win it. So the first thing is signing Artemi Panarin. You sign Panarin to a seven-year, 81.5 total for $11.642 million per year. And in his first year as a blue shirt, he scored 95 points. Was in league with, he was in what, he was at one point tied for league lead in points and also was tied for third in assists in the league. When you look at a guy who is generally a sniper and he comes in and ties third in the league for, for assists, damn. I, was, I just got to say damn. Second, my second talking point is Adam Fox. Uh, traded to the Rangers for two second-round picks. It was originally a second and a third. However, the third was a conditional third. If Adam Fox played 30 games with the Rangers, he would then the, – the pick to Carolina would become a second, and it did. Uh, and you can argue, as I mentioned before, in my players who shocked me, Adam Fox is easily the Rangers' best defenseman next to Tony D'Angelo. My third talking point. David Quinn, the hiring of David, the hiring of David Quinn, and I know that you're going to mention how John Davidson loves David Quinn. Uh, I want to mention that uh, David Quinn is a while he might not have a good record right now as a Rangers uh, head coach, he's a coach who can easily be considered for uh, the Jack Adams Award. And he was one of my top five nominees, but I had him narrow it down to three, and I did. Number four, the signing of Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider signed a seven-year, $6.5 million per year. Uh, this season, playing some of the best hockey he's played in a, in a little while, scoring 24 goals, 21 assists for 45 points. Player who's really using his body to get to the net from what I've seen him use. And he's also a guy who knows how to miss the puck and a guy who knows how to scrap as well. And that's something that a team wants. They want a guy who can score, who can dish, and who can scrap. The, th the fifth big talking point was the Brady Shea trade. Traded uh, Brady Shea to the Carolina Hurricanes for a first-round pick. Shea was in the middle of a six-year, was on the front end of a six-year, $5.25 million, totaling $31.5 million. Uh, just a little bit of stats about Brady Shea. This season, he was tied for the – he was a tie for career low, tied for career low in goals with eight. Had a career low in assists in 16 and a career low in points in 24, totaling 67 games. Uh, and one thing I want to mention about Brady Shea, and I never mentioned, I didn't mention this about anybody else, but this is something I want to mention about Brady Shea. 
as he's talked about for his giveaways and takeaways, he has 36 give- takeaways this season for 55 giveaways. Not good. He At that moment, he's looking like a turnover machine. And Jeff Gordon is looking like a genius for getting that pick from Carolina. And the last but not least, to wrap up, all, wrap up in a big bow of why Jeff Gordon should win GM of the Year, now I know this was in 2016, but now is the time to look at it. Mika Zabinajad and the trade. Yes. <laughs> and the trade that brought maybe the New York Rangers' next captain to Broadway. The trade happened July 19th, 2016. It was Mika Zabinajad and a second in 2018 from the Ottawa Senators in exchange for Derek Broussard and a seventh in 2018. So I'm going to mention what Broussard has been doing. Broussard uh, had a good couple years in Ottawa. I think he had a good two years in Ottawa, was even part of that deep playoff run where they were a game away. Best way to explain is he's been bouncing around from team to team. That's I was the about best to mention way to put it. <laughs> I was about to mention that since Broussard has since the trade, Broussard has actually moved to four other teams. He has not been able to stay put. Now, on the other hand, Mika Zibanejad. He was, I think, uh, third or fourth in goals this this season, coming after a big injury. He finished the season with 41 goals, 34 assists for 75 points. This is career highs. And I want to mention that in the 17-18 and the 18-19 season, we're all career highs. And this one was his biggest. He's expected to be the Rangers' next captain. And I fully expect him next year to be announced as the next captain under blue shirts after Ryan McDonough was traded, last captain. But I want to go back to 17-18 season because the Benajad comes into the season with the Rangers. His second year with the blue shirts, his second full season. Scoring 27 goals, 20 assists for 47 points, notching a career high. Not bad. In the 18-19 season, he scored 30 goals for 44 assists, 74 points, notching yet again another career high in all categories. Then, as I mentioned, going to the 19-20 season, 41 goals, 34 assists for 75 points, notching yet again his third season of career highs. This trade is making Jeff Gorton and the New York Rangers organization look like geniuses. And it's making the Ottawa Senators and Dave Melnick just look like, why did we trade this guy away? If he's putting up 30 goals a season, putting up 75 points in, pat- and 70 points in the past two years, and easily is the Rangers' next captain, why would we trade him away? I don't know why you would. I'm just saying thank you, Dave. I appreciate you, and I love you. And Jeff Gorton, please never leave us. All right, so I'm going to keep mine short and sweet because uh, Kane just gave you the oral history of the New York Rangers <laughs> under uh, John Gorton, <laughs> Jeff Gorton, I mean. So I had Gorton as well, but I wanted to talk about someone else that I feel is very important to this whole equation of going on in Madison Square Garden, and that's the president, uh, John Davidson, who they hired 
uh, last off season where he came from Columbus. And when everyone saw that hiring, everyone was like, oh, here comes Panera now. And it just made sense because they had a, New York had a spot for him. And Davidson knew Panarin well. And it just showed because Panarin uh, rejected a lot of money from the Islanders and to come over to play for the Rangers. So that's easily the biggest talking point when it comes to Davidson and the Rangers. And just also, it just seems like he brought a different culture. Uh, I hate saying that, but like, not not saying that's a bad thing, but I just sometimes I think that, that that's a cliche that everyone tends to use. But like, it just seems like now when you watch the Rangers, it just seems like he has, him and Gorton has their hands on this team right now. And it just seems like they did something when it comes to this team that just is unmatched right now. And finally, like, I mentioned it to Caden, and he said it earlier. At every sport, doesn't matter what president of a sports team you are, when you get the job, you want your head coach and your guys. And he came in this year. They didn't even hire David Quinn. They didn't even sniff him, nothing. And he gives all the luck to David Quinn and has his bag through and through. And I think that's something you've never seen before in sports when it comes to these big time presidents, because they all want to, which is understandable because you want to, you want to come in and you want to bring your guys, but he's shown so much love to David Quinn and it just shows that he's going to back him up and and he's going to be his guy. So I think that's something that's very important, something that needs to be said. So Jeff Gorton uh, gets the award for GM of the year. And I just thought I talked about John Davidson. So that's that. Now we're going to get to the fun stuff. <laughs> we, got, we got three, three more categories. Yeah, we got three more left. And we're going we're gonna to go with goal of the year. So these last three are going to be ones that we recommend you go on YouTube and you search them up because we're going to describe to you what these videos are slash plays. So I'll start. For goal of the year, mine is the current bolt but earlier in the season was in New Jersey. His name is Blake Coleman. And if you remember, I think it was the second week, I think, second week of the season. Blake I think Col- it was the second game of the season. Was it the second game? I think I for the Devils, it might have been their first home game, and I think it was the Jets' second yeah, game after I, facing the New York Rangers in the Rangers' home opener. Yeah, that shows how bad of a person I am that I did not look that up. But <laughs> anyway. I think. Anyway. Blake Coleman had a spectacular one-handed goal. It was kind of like where he got the breakout pass, and he was one-on-one. He was just hitting the goaltender, but he had a defender right behind him. And it was kind of like he got pushed slash shoved slash just he fell and used one hand and poked the the, uh, puck into the net. And that goal led to a 4-0 lead at home at the Rock in Jersey. And they go into the second intermission with uh, a 4-1 lead. But, like we talked about when Caden talked about his disappointment of the year team was the New Jersey Devils, this was the starting point of how bad they were going to be. Like I said, going into the second intermission, they were 4-1 to after that great one-handed goal by Blake Coleman. They would end up losing to a shootout, 2-1, to against the Winnipeg Jets at home to end up losing 5-4. to so it takes away the beauty of the goal, but at the same time, the goal was still spectacular. And if I had to pick, he'd get my goal of the year. But I recommend you Google it, you watch it, and you see how he basically fell slash got shoved and still found a way to poke the puck into the net. 
get it past Hellebuck. So for my goal of the year, it goes to current bowl, but former New Jersey Devil at the time, Blake Coleman. Interesting. So my goal of the year isn't a one-headed push into the net, a one-headed <laughs> like, toss into the net or something like that. Um, my goal of the year is to Connor McDavid. The goal came on January 7th, 2020, came in the third period against the Toronto Maple Leafs. The final score of the game was 6-4. to four. This turned out to be the last goal the Oilers would score. It, it involved Oilers captain Connor McDavid. Uh, so McDavid got the breakout pass. He had a lot of open space between him and uh, the Maple Leafs uh, zone and defense, Maple Leafs defenseman Morgan Riley. So he was moving up the ice, and he took the puck in, took a stutter step on Morgan Riley. Riley went one way, and McDavid knew in his mind, game over, man, game over. He swerves around Morgan Riley. He took it to the outside, doesn't do anything like fancy in a backhand. He pulls back as quickly as he can, and it was a flash. And if you blink, you'll miss it. A flash, drop back, put up, pass. Maple Leafs goaltender, I think it might have been Jack Campbell. Just you look at that, and you look at the play, and that might have been my favorite goal this season. It wasn't flashy like a Blake Coleman goal. It wasn't some fancy backhand falling from the slot or some Ovechkin behind the back toss in the net. It was something that he did to undress the defenseman to put it in the if you if you blink you're gonna miss it. Absolutely. I think I think that goal was fantastic, but I do agree that the Blake Coleman goal was better, but I did not want to agree with you on this one. No, a hundred percent though. When McDavid gets open ice like that and he knows he has the defender beat, it's gone. And it's just at the matter of making sure he makes the right move to beat the goaltender. That's all it comes down to. (laughs) Agreed. So we will got two left. And we will do save of the year. I'll let you go first, Caden, on this one. What was your save of the year? So my save of the year came on December 14th, 2019, and the save came in overtime. So when it's in overtime, you say, oh, man, that must have been a fantastic save. The save was Jonathan Quick versus the Penguins. Once again, as we say, we recommend looking these up. The first one, so this other thing happened. Brian Rush was on a breakaway, and he shoots it, easy save, quick, had to go to the right side of the net. And then uh, Rush picked up his own rebound and shot it. It barely nicked quick, but he got enough of it to have it jump over to the left side. Then in the blink of an eye, Teddy Bluger comes up to the other side and has a wide-open net, get ball game over, Penguins are ready to go home and to celebrate. Nope. Jonathan Quick dives across the net mouth and denies him with a with a pad. Uh, I I don't know how he's still that flexible at that age, but what a save from Jonathan Quick. The uh, the King the King has ended up losing that game five to four in a shootout. However, when it's a save in overtime or a series of saves in overtime. You always have to look at those. And I think that was a big thing of why Jonathan Quick won Save of the Year for me. That was in the running for mine. 
So I'm going to say what you said, and we keep on saying, look these up. Because mine, if you're not a hockey fan, you have no idea that this guy existed on the face of the earth. My goaltender that made a save. So mine was happened on December 14th, same day as your save, Jonathan Quick. Uh, mine was backup goaltender from Minnesota, Alex Starlock. Uh, he gets my vote for save of the year. This one's not as flashy or not as like the big time starters that you'll see play. And if we ran up a poll, I think Cadence would win just because it's Jonathan Quick and it's probably a better save. But I could tell you, I, I went on YouTube and I watched a lot, a lot of saves from this past year. And this one just stuck out to me. Like I said, it was a game on December 14th against the Philadelphia Flyers. And there was major traffic in front of the net. You got a lot of guys screening them. And it's like he gets, he lunges into the traffic and he goes down on his stomach. He thought the puck was going to go one way, so he kind of shifted one way. But then at the last second, he shifted to his left and made a beautiful leg kick save. That would be my save of the year. Again, I recommend you look it up because this one's one that goes flies under the radar, in my opinion. But uh, the Wild would go on to win 4-1 to in that game, and it just proved to be a really big key save at a key moment in time. So that's my save of the year. So finally, we have one more. And that is game of the year. Uh, Caden, I will start with you on this one. Your final, final award. What is your game of the year? My game of the year came on March 5th, 2020. At Madison Square Garden, the New York Rangers were hosting the Washington Capitals. Oh, I thought we were talking about the Knicks for a second. Yes, because the New York Knicks are the best hockey team. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Um, March 5th, 2020, the New York Rangers were hosting the Washington Capitals. And you come into this game thinking, okay, nothing big is going to happen. Regular, regular season game, Rangers-Capitals might be a big game because of the rivalry. Big rivalry between these two teams. This is, in my opinion, the Mika Zibanejad game. This moment. His moment, his time coming to New York. His one shining moment, like they say, March Madness. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Rangers won this game 6-5. to five, And Mika Zibanejad had five goals for the New York Rangers, including the overtime winner. So, I'm just going to do a little quick of a breakdown of when these goals happened, since it's five goals. So, as I remember, the Washington Capitals did not one goal first. It was from Carl Hagelin. And then at 9.01 of the first period, Mika Zibanejad got a shot, and he tipped it in and makes it two, makes it 1-1. Uh, and then at 5.29 of the second period, he did score, and it was a um, one-timer from the top of the left face-off circle. So it was a blast. He had to go with a blast. He was making it from the left face-off circle. Then, at, then going into the third period, after that, nothing else. Then 12 seconds into the third period, Buc- Pavel Buchnevich circles around the net, and he no-look passes it between the legs to a wide-open Mika Zibinijad, easily capitalizes, no problem. That was a hat trick right there. 
that would have ended it for me. That was his fourth career hat trick, third as a Ranger. Not done there. At 18-18 of the third period, a power play goal. Capo Caco, Ranger's second overall pick, took a shot, and it had a weird carom off of the pad of Ilya Samsonov coming right to a wide-open Zabinajad, who kind of just took it and clapped it in, makes it. I think that was a 5-4 game right there. His fourth goal of the game. He's not done there. At 33 seconds, Artemi Panarin sees a wide-open Mika Zabinajad on a breakaway, runs to the net, backhand past Samsonov. That's his fifth goal of the game. This is the first time that someone has scored five goals since 2018 when Patrick Laine of the Winnipeg Jets did it. This is the first New York Ranger to do it since Mark Pavlich in 1983. Crazy. And before the 2018 five goals from Patrick Laine, the last one was in 2011. So just want to look at that. These games are rare. Five goals a game are rare. And Mika Zibinijad putting up five goals and the game winner was fantastic. I remember watching that game. MSU was going nuts. I was going nuts. It was just a fantastic game. I remember texting you after. (laughs) All right. My game of the year is more of a moment of the year than game of the year. Um, I agree. Mine would have been Zibinijad as well, but I already knew you were going there without even talking to you about it. So I kind of went more of the moment. So I'll I'll make this quick, by the way. Um, So my game of the year slash moment of the year was when Alexander Ovechkin joined the 700 goal club. Um, It's pretty simple. Uh, Ovechkin became just the eighth player ever to score 700 goals. He's the second second fastest player to score 700 goals. Uh, the only one to do that was Wayne Gretzky. He did it in less games. Um, the amazing part, he did this at age 34. But the moment, obviously, this game, if everyone recalls, they lost to the Devils 3-2. to two, But it doesn't even matter because – the reason why I picked this was just because Alexander Ovechkin is probably going to be one of the best hockey players we'll ever see play in our lifetime. And he's just a guy that just knows how to score. And we're literally witnessing history. And I have a friend at college that's a Capitals fan. And we always talk about, do you think we'll get to, do you think he'll get to 800? If this season didn't get cut short, I think he would at least score at least 50 more, not 50 more, but at least hit 50 and at least have a deep number into the 50s. Can he do it now? I don't know. Depends on how his body uh, feels down the road. But, man, I take this just because we may never see an Ovechkin ever again. Clear and simple. He's probably the best goal scorer of all time. And, yes, we know that we have people that love Sidney Crosby and stuff, but they're just two different players, two completely different players. So I hate when they compare Ovechkin to Crosby. Yes, you can compare them just because they've played long. They've played together. They've played longer against each other a lot, but not even close when it comes to the way they can score. So Ovechkin gets my game of the year slash moment of the year. So there you have it. Those are our awards that – we recap the season, the shorter season. Before we go, we want to make this announcement. 
when we were trying to figure out how you do this podcast, we think of figure out of shows that we think would be fun because obviously we are still waiting for all sports to come back up, especially the NHL, obviously. And we want to try to figure out a way how we could talk hockey because normally after you recap the season, it always leaves a question mark of what do we do now? But we thought about it and we're going to do a really special type of thing, type of shows that we're going to do leading up, hopefully up to the resume of the NHL playoffs. We won't tell you the team that's going to be first, but we'll leave you with this. Kay and I agreed to every team that's in the playoffs slash in the play-in playoffs are going to have their own dedicated show. So I'll pick a team that's out of the playoffs right now, the Detroit Red Wings. So we'll, we'll use them as an example. What we will do, every show from here on out, we're only going to talk about one team. And that's going to be the teams that are in the playoffs in, or in the play-in playoffs. And we'll talk about their season. We'll talk about their players. We will talk about their potential runs in the playoffs. Anything, we will talk about it. We'll just break it down for you guys. I'm really, really excited. So, like, if it, we do the Detroit Red Wings, we talk about how the rebuild's going, talk about this and this and that, their players, Dylan Larkin, all of that. So, we're not going to give you the team yet, but we look, we're looking forward to doing this. We're really excited. We're happy that we're doing this podcast for you guys. So, um, Caden, before we go, just your words on these upcoming podcasts and these teams that we're eventually going to be talking about. I, I'm looking forward to these. I, obviously, this is only episode two, so this takes the cake to my favorite episode. Uh, however, I'm looking forward to uh, the upcoming next couple podcasts, especially when we talk about my favorite teams and your favorite teams. So when it comes to these episodes, we will tag the team, we'll tag, we'll tag the teams, we'll tag the things that we talk about. Um, so if you want to follow us on social media, this time I got our Twitter handle correct this time, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore onmanrush underscore podcast and Twitter. You can follow me at JaredM24 underscore on Twitter. And Caden, what is your Twitter handle on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Caden underscore Balint. That's C-A-D-E-N underscore B-A-L-I-N-T. Feel free to ask us, tweet us questions, tweet us anything about our, our first two episodes here. Again, we're excited to bring you these podcasts for us to talk hockey, and we, we just enjoy doing it. So for Caden... For myself, this is the Odd Man Rush Podcast episode two. We are signing off. Peace, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon.